Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Common Sense Podcast. Now in a new decade. Amen. In case we have any new listeners here, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick. I thought you were going to say something else because you're like being extra. I'm not. I'll chop it. Okay, your name is Patrick. And my name's Antonia. And we're back up in this thing. You know how we do. Um, You know, it's February. I think we are more than halfway done. February is flying by. Like, January always feels like it's exactly 74 days. And then February is like, hey, okay, bye. (laughs) Yeah, January this year was, I'm surprised. I watched one of those recap videos on Twitter of January. I was like, there's no way all of this happened in one month. Like, there's no way. I don't even remember exactly what all happened in January. It was just a ridiculously long month, and I'm so thankful that we are no longer experiencing January 2020 anymore. Well, in the meantime, do you have any good news from January or any good news period from the last week or so? I got to visit Detroit for the first time. Yeah! <laughs> Insert air horns. Yes! If you're new here, I always... I've always told Patrick, like, I would never visit Detroit because it's cold, it snows, like, it makes no sense. And then I end up in Detroit with lots of snow to celebrate his birthday. And it wasn't actually that terrible. Um, It didn't feel terribly different from, like, 30 degrees in Houston, except that there was snow. And that was only my second time experiencing real snow. I don't know if you know that. I mean, that much probably was clear by the way that I was, like, jumping in the snow and kicking it around. But in Houston, like, what we get is ice compared to y'all's snow. And so I've been to Tennessee, like, at Lookout Mountain, and that's really fluffy snow. And, like, y'all have real snow. So I probably won't get excited about the snow here in Houston anymore, except that it gives us a day off from school. I'm so sorry I'll still have to go to school with all that snow. I would have been extremely upset. I was so stressed out, like, about driving. And I was looking out the window, like, watching everyone drive regular speeds. I'm just like, wait, how are y'all not having accidents? I am so confused. Yeah, I will never forget the image of you frolicking in the snow outside of the restaurant that we went to eat at. I was so amused. Yeah, you're like, it's so fluffy. That's it. It is. This is good snow. It's amazing like snow. I definitely agree. Yeah, there's good, the different. There's a difference between good snow and bad snow. Good snow, obviously, something that's not too heavy. It isn't mixed with ice. Bad snow, obviously, is really hard to shovel. It comes down too fast. But this snow was just like it was beautiful. It was pretty, and it is nearly gone. Oh well, you didn't get any days off from it, so yeah, might as well be on its way out. I'm so disappointed. I just want to say on the record, Common Sense Podcast, I am disappointed in Michigan. One of the reasons why I decided to move back to my home state, my home city, was because I know that y'all be getting like a week off um, in total for snow days. And the fact that we have one measly snow day this year is it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I'm not here for it at all. So mm. I am patiently awaiting our second rain day. Like it floods, like when it rains starting around like 830 and it just starts pouring, Houstonians are like, okay, like can the roads flood and everyone be safe so we don't have to go to work or school tomorrow? Fingers crossed because it's about that time of year. It's been raining all week. Maybe we'll get one soon within the next week or so. No, Need rain day. to look day. at the past record and see. Rain what? day is a joke. I'm sorry. No. It is. No. It is. No one wants to work when it's raining anyway, but whatever. The rainy day has always brought incredible lessons. I don't know, because it's like everybody's much calmer. 
you get a little sleepy, you know, it's just like, it's just different. It's just, it's, it's a relaxed energy in the room. But I definitely, like, I don't know what I would feel like if my school was like, it's raining, like, you know, stay at home. We just watched the water collect and everyone is kind of frantic. And I have huge floor-to-ceiling windows now, so my kids are not interested in what I have going on when it rains. Well. So, (laughs) that spiraled into, like, something completely separate. But do you have any good news from, like, the past week or past month? (laughs) You look crazy. Stop. Um... So I do. I had an amazing birthday this past week. Oh, this past weekend. <sighs> you, you know, I never celebrate my birthday. It's something I dread. I I I just don't like public attention. I don't know. I think it just like stems from fear of people not giving a damn. So I think if I set my expectations really low, then I won't have to disappoint myself. So um, I was really overwhelmed by the surprise party this past uh weekend, the dinner that we had, just the love that everyone showed. I was just so overwhelmed um with love and compassion, just uh, it was nice. And um I bought <laughs> sorry. Um I also bought my ticket to Mexico. So Yay! I am really excited for midwinter break, which I did not know was not a regular thing for y'all. Some of y'all actually work mm, January to April with no break or January to March. I want to pray for y'all. Y'all need midwinter. It's rough out here. That's why I'm praying for a rain day. Yeah, you need one or a good old PTO. I just took one, fam. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Got it. Um, yeah, so it's been uh, a really good weekend. And I really start, I, like, you know, I really feel like things are finally starting to turn around, specifically in my career and some things that are taking off. I'm really enjoying the entrepreneurial part of my life at this moment probably a little bit more than the classroom portion. And so you heard it here first when I say that one day I'll figure out a way to merge the two because even seeing my students right now make $150 as sixth graders in a school with 200 students, 200 or 300 students, make $150, you know, as an entrepreneurial project selling Valentine's Day origami hearts, you know, just like further proves to me and like it, it further proves to me that students really thrive um, when projects are immediate and relevant and involves like tangible reward, you know, um, outside of like the grade that they get. So I'm just really interested in finding or founding like non-traditional school models that allow for students to research and perform and make real money and um, like work on all aspects of themselves at the same time as opposed to it being this very separate curriculum, separate for this, a class for this social emotional learning in the morning, math in the evening, you know, like things should be more um, cohesive. So I'm really interested to kind of explore that. So I say, I would say I'm feeling like myself again. I'm doing my good teaching again. I survived standardized testing for the first time. Amen. And now the work continues. What did they spend the money on? So they raised. Take a guess. Um, I don't think it was books. It wasn't. I have no idea. A pizza party? No. They want. They want a field trip to IHOP. Y'all ain't got Waffle House. No, we don't have Waffle House in Michigan. That is so interesting. 
IHOP is all right, I guess. That, but why IHOP? Like, what? They want pancakes. Like, they want pancakes. They want to enjoy that. I could not justify paying money for that. So they are raising money for pancakes. I feel like, you know, so much, like, they're so excited because it looks like so much money to them. You know, the, the cash yeah. that they count because we count the cash every single day. Um, so they're like, oh my gosh, you know, how do I like do this? Are y'all within walking distance of one? We're not. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm not really sure how to actually pull this off, but we'll see. It's okay. It might have to be an after-school thing and parents bring them. No? I was thinking either that or like a Saturday morning or something. Because there's no, I, I cannot think of a single way that like you could convince admin that that is quote unquote educational, even though like they've clearly displayed a wide range of skills in order wide. to get to that point. Yes, leadership, um, mathematics as, as it relates to um, counting and developing a plan and giving change back and goal setting. English, obviously, with the advertising um, and creating a letter um, with uh, which was a proposal, like it, it's just like crazy the amount of things that they've done. Just but just the leadership all together has been wild to see. Like the fact that 10 sixth grade boys have kept up with like over a hundred dollars have not lost a dollar of that. I'm like in awe. I'm in awe because it's it's completely on them. They've sold all the things. They've made all the money. They've done it all on their own. And so I'm just, I'm so impressed and proud of my babies. That really is neat, though. That's pretty cool. But last thing I'll say is the only reason why we're able to do this is because we have a set aside advisory time. Some people in certain schools do not have that opportunity to like do projects like this because it gets away and gets in the way of curriculum, gets in the way of um, testing or gets in the way of like other school mandated things. But if you want to build the culture and build the well-rounded students that you want to see in the world, all the other like you know, things we say in education, you got to make time for that. You want to know what a school values? Look at their school schedule and that'll tell you exactly what they want to see out of students. But it's too early to preach. So I'm going to... Calm down. (laughs) I cannot with you. Okay, but you mentioned this this concept of time. Um, Something that like we're all complaining about all the time. Like there's none of it. Um... And I've been not necessarily thinking about it, but like every now and then someone's like, oh, you should do this or you should do that. Or can you do this or can you do that? And it's coming down to like where I'm just constantly saying I don't have time. Right. I don't have time. I don't have time because you have the bare minimum that you absolutely have to do. And anything outside of that is you giving up your own time. And four years in, I'm not really willing to do that anymore because one I've been teaching kindergarten three years and I kind of have a general idea of what I'm going to do how I'm going to do it and what time of year I'm going to do it and anything extra that's thrown at me it's like okay willing to do it but when are you going to provide me time to learn how to do this and learn how to implement this with children and practice this myself before I'm in front of 22 five-year-olds asking them to do this and so I think you mentioned um, there was like some tweet I posted from Melinda Anderson, who's actually, she's writing a book um, or has written a book that's coming out in September. And I am blanking on the name, but we can put it in the description of the podcast. But essentially, she's written this book about what it's like to be a teacher in America. Um, And she followed a veteran teacher in, and I'm probably going to say the wrong place. I think the teacher was teaching in Atlanta, but she's this veteran teacher, this black woman, and she followed her and interviewed her and talk to her just like what it's like to be in the profession at this point. And everyone basically has like the same concerns. Like we're all complaining about the time. And so Melinda Anderson tweeted something about how um, all these SEL, social emotional learning 
curriculums are coming out and these are great things for children, um, except that how can you be implementing these things and like you don't see color and you're implementing these in a classroom full of black children? Or um, one thing that really I took away from it was how can we be implementing these things, one, if we're not seeing the whole child, including you know, their race and ethnicity. And two, how can you be doing these if you have not taken the time to do that work on yourself? And now you're standing in front of five-year-olds trying to teach this to them um, and trying to dig into these concepts. And I was given a social emotional curriculum this year that I was given a one-day training on. And I'm still completely unsure about even how to use it. Because like, while it's scripted, it's like, um, the children's response to whatever you're doing is not going to be scripted. And so how do you know if you have not dived into all of this on your own and had the time to read varying viewpoints and had the time to see what it looks like in other classrooms and had the time to talk to people who have gone through whatever this curriculum or this program is, people who have been impacted by it, how can I in good faith stand in front of children and offer this to them when I've not done any of that? It just feels very, um, I don't want to say fake, but I feel rushed and unprepared because while scripted things may be great for some people, for someone who believes in, what am I trying to say? Not authenticity, though I do believe in that. Um, someone who believes in like offering the best to children, like that is not the best. And I also feel like, Social, and this is where people might be like, oh my God, Antonia, the social emotional programs that we are getting in our classrooms, I feel like they are becoming a cop out for hiring school counselors. Like, I did not go to school for that. It's great. I, it's an important thing to the classroom. I'm not going to lie. Like, great, do it. In the past, I've had school counselors that come in and do full guidance lessons. And mm. I have seen a difference in the way that five year olds manage themselves the way that five-year-olds attempt to solve problems independently in a way that five-year-olds speak to each other. I do not have that privilege this year of those guidance lessons, and I'm finding myself defaulting to, look, oh, how can you use your words to solve your problems? And I realized maybe like a month ago that they hadn't had those lessons that my kindergartners in the past had had that taught them how to solve those problems. And I just... While the curriculums or the idea of the curriculum and having these pieces in place are great, I do not think that they replace qualified counselors being in the classroom offering this stuff to children. I don't. And I think that teachers are becoming like a catch-all for all this stuff that children need to have because there is not enough money in the pot to go around. Well, there is money in the pot to go around, but it's not being allocated properly. And let's continue to amplify the fact that these curriculums in a box are nothing but feeding the capitalist machine that is education. <laughs> Basically cheapening the village that we know it takes to raise in you know, whole and healthy children in our schools. I too had a scripted curriculum for social emotional learning when I taught first grade and it had cute songs that came with pets and it came with puppets and all those things. And it just, it was not helpful. I have never found a curriculum that truly reflects my students because that's not what box curriculums are for. They are meant for a wide uh, audience and meant for mass audiences, meant for all students because they want to make the most money that they possibly can. And so the only way that we can truly do social and emotional learning well is if we are directly responding to the needs of the community that we serve. And in order for us to directly respond to, to, to those needs, we have to be active listeners. We have to be involved we have to be doing our own work at the same time. And so it's really hard because teaching is such a personal profession. All of your imperfections are on display every single day to be judged by your students, by your administrators, by random people who walk in when they want to. 
And so that can really, really be hard, especially for me as someone who struggles with mental health. So I'm not sure that a scripted curriculum will ever be the answer um, for social and emotional learning. It, it most certainly does not replace a school counselor. I have a phenomenal counselor here um, at the school that I'm currently at, and she does such a great job at helping students to process the emotions um, that, you know, that they go through. I don't have the time um, to do a thousand people's jobs while getting paid pennies. For one. If that, yeah. I, 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 I won't even say I'm, I'm being paid for one. I don't think there is a teacher literally. And that's, and you know, when I think about salary, that literally has nothing to do with, you know, my school and the and the decisions that they're making. It truly is a reflection of the system, the education system. You know, like sev- severely underfunded schools are causing for teacher salaries to be low, and everybody trying to figure out what's the best way to quote unquote pay teachers more while also cutting back on very essential services that um, help students to succeed. I don't know, for a while I was like, maybe I don't, maybe I just don't understand like what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. And then like one day it just clicked that the boxed curriculum was like trying to take the place of an actual counselor coming in. And then I was like, okay, like now I don't feel so bad. But this, this is, yeah. Trying to do too many people's jobs. Like, kids don't even have computer anymore. Like, learning computer skills is another thing. But we had that growing up. Like, you had, like, a keyboarding class, and you learned how to create documents and how to do, like, basic things on the computer. Now that falls in the hands of the classroom teacher. Which, whatever. It's just, you continue to eliminate roles and just pour those responsibilities into our laps. And that has caused for a lot of backlash. Um, There's a viral story going out in Shawnee Mission, um, which is a school district in Kansas City, Missouri, not Kansas City, Kansas. (laughs) There are two, yeah. Um, An eighth grade teacher just resigned in front of the district school board of education Monday night. Miss Amanda Kaufman stepped up to the podium during the public comment section of the meeting um, and basically said that she's out of here. She's gone. She is resigning after the new contract was approved on January 30th. Uh, The contract basically says, you know, you get a 1% raise this year and a 1.25% raise and a 1.5% raise the final year of the contract. That's a three-year contract that they must sign. Um, but she said that this fails to truly correct working conditions. Um, it does not help to discuss the uh, power dynamic between administrators and teachers, which I've been saying for a very long time. Um, and, it basically blames teachers for um, their issues without giving them true change. Um, and so she resigned. Her high school students walked out the week prior to protest a new contract that had been given. Um, so it's not just an us thing. It truly is a national, um, a national issue. I want to play Amanda Kaufman's very emotional speech. My name is Amanda Kaufman, and I resign my position as teacher for the Shawnee Mission School District effective immediately. Several years ago, a good friend decided to leave education, and she said to me, Amanda, teaching is like a bad marriage. You never get your needs met, but you stay in it for the kids. I didn't fully understand what she meant until this past month. Just like a bad relationship, our communication has broken down. You aren't listening. I thought that maybe like a troubled relationship, we could go to counseling, get an outside perspective to work out our differences. But when you failed to show up to the conversation, but sent your lawyer instead, 
I finally understood that this just isn't going to work. The kids and I deserve better. Despite the accusation that we as teachers have not been focused on the students during this difficult year, I've been thinking the most about what my students are taking away from watching the way you treat their teachers. Talking to the board or the administrators in this building is like shouting into the wind and I won't waste my breath. But I would like to address my students, many of whom are watching the live stream tonight. All right, guys, you all know that the most important lesson I want you to take away from your time with me is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Usually I'm applying that lesson to technology violations or intellectual bullying, but it's true in life as well. I could accept this contract, smile and stay silent about the lies the district perpetuates about its teachers, but that doesn't mean I should. I hope that in your future relationships, whether they be personal or professional, that you will walk away when you should. Just because you can accept less for yourself doesn't mean you should. Here's another important lesson. Despite what you may be told, respect should not have to be earned. It is owed to you as a human being, especially by those who have power over you in some way. Disrespect in an uneven power dynamic is bullying. When we see bullying, we must stand up and call it out, even when it's hard, even when it comes at a cost. Just because you could stay silent doesn't mean you should. Starting over is never easy. You eighth graders know that well as you prepare for high school. Let me assure you, it only gets harder as you age. But just because you can stay in a familiar place doesn't mean you should. Go chase your dreams, find your passions. Remember me in your acceptance speeches. But don't worry about me. I'm a highly educated, very talented teacher. They are in high demand right now in other districts. And finally, I don't know what I'll be doing when the bell rings at 8.40 tomorrow morning, but I won't be greeting you in the hallways. Please don't see my empty doorway as a sign that I've abandoned you or that I don't care. That empty doorway is my sign that you are still my favorite humans and I will always be your biggest advocate. There will be no clarifying questions. I don't answer to you anymore. Did she lie? <laughs> she did not lie. She did not lie. What, what kills me is she's like, there will be no clarifying questions. <laughs> I'm not laughing at her, but Jesus. Wow. It's awful that it's come to that. So my, um, I initially saw it on Facebook from one person, but then as I scrolled further down, I saw it from my union president. And my union president like had reposted it and was like, this is the way that if you're going to resign that you need to do it. Like the districts need to see your face and know who they're impacting and know that all of y'all are fed up about the way that you're being treated, the time that you have in your classrooms to prepare, the workload, the consistent like things added to your plate. Because without seeing a face, like you're just one of the thousands of teachers in the district, like if you're in a large district like I am. Um, and I, I don't know, I feel like at some point, like, you have to be human and realize that you are asking other people with children and families and partners and interests outside of school. This is who you're asking these things of. And it's only natural that people are going to get fed up. I am in total, not quite awe, a little confused, um, perplexed maybe, but people who've been teaching 20 odd years, 13, 14, 15 Yes. I don't think our generation, not necessarily our generation, but the newer teachers coming out with five years under there, but I don't think we're going to stay that long. Mm -mm. There's no, like, they were teaching in a different time. Like, yes, there were still tests. Yes, you still had parents and administrators, but they'll you tell you that. Have... They'll tell yes, you that. They will. And to expect someone to stay under these conditions, like at the beginning, she says something about like how it's a bad marriage. To expect people to stay and consistently work in these conditions where things change every year, you have new initiatives that are the same thing with different names, with more requirements. Like, who in their right mind would stay for that and would continue to try to find a way to 
to attempt to thrive in those settings. And like at some point you have to decide like you can't stay for the kids. Like the kids will be fine. They will be. But you like you only get one you. You get one life. You like what are you going to choose to do with it? And are you going to choose to be one person going up against a huge system by yourself trying to change something that doesn't want to be changed? Like I'm not saying not to go against the grain and not to do what's right and not to do what you think is best for students, but to be mindful of the fact that you are one person. And even if you have others going with you, like, like yes, you get more done with others going with you, but y'all are all, we're like, we're just small pawns in this large system that was not created with us in mind and not created for us to thrive and reach amazing goals and to just do unimaginable things like it wasn't created for that purpose like the Mm. system the public education system right now is archaic it doesn't work Mm. it's not working and that's why we're all struggling and and floundering and and trying to find other things to do like i don't know it's 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 gotta move beyond what it is it is and we keep expecting different results and I think in some places there are people who are attempting to try to do things differently, but districts are allowing people to experiment still within a box. And these kids are different. <laughs> this world is different. We are in a true digital age um, and we cannot operate the same way. You know, education, I always say, is that app on your phone that you just never seem to update, but you still got it around. You know, uh, we need to truly update education. We need to truly fund education. We need to truly um, value the lives that we entrust with our future generation. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm glad to see that there are more and more teachers who are speaking out and standing up because, you know, the the quote bullying is something I'm not here for. I'm going to be honest about that real shit. Um, but, you know, I mean, I've I'm going to be honest to teachers. I've, I've seen it as well. And I've seen some folks who have tried to do it to me, but you got met with something completely different. I, I think I just say all that to say, like, I, I hope that she finds a school that she truly likes, but I doubt that she will. Because it's a bigger issue than school to school. It's a bigger yeah. issue than district to district. And I'm not sure how to really solve it um, besides maybe some really progressive secretary of education who comes in and say, we got to get this together, you know? Um, and somebody with some teaching background who like truly sets a vision for what American education looks like. But I know for a fact that we're all over the place. We're not consistent. And the main thing is we are not doing what we need to do as um, educators because we don't have the support. We don't have the time. We don't have the money to, like, truly educate um, our children holistically. Um, And, of course, our students are going to be okay anyway, but that's not the point. That's not the point at all, no. It just, it shouldn't be like this. I saw this other tweet and it was basically asking like, when do teachers have time to read the research in their field? And so many people were like, I don't, I don't, I don't. And it's like, it's sad that we are professionals, but we don't have time allotted to do that. And I have friends in other professions that they don't go home and like continue their work. Like there is time within their day to do what they need to do to attend whatever trainings I need to do, whatever conferences they have to go to, like there is that time allotted. And I think that if we viewed, well, not necessarily viewed, but if there was like more support in the schools or like in K through two classrooms, if there were two teachers all the time, it would be easier for one teacher to step out and, you know, go attend a training or go read this article and do a true PLC with some people or go attend this conference and kids would be unimpacted because there would still be a working professional in the classroom that knew the children that knew the next thing to go on to. And we wouldn't be left to just hope that they survive with the sub while we're out. It's like, it's a disruption to their, ed- to con- like their continued education when we have to have a sub and it's 
clearly I'm an advocate for take your days, but I do realize it's disruptive to their weekly learning or whatever you had going on. But if there was more than one person in the classroom, that wouldn't be such a huge deal. And we would have the time to continue to grow instead of, oh, I'm going to cram it in all this summer and then I'm going to do all of it because I don't have time to look at any of this during the school year. Which it's like, it's really sad. And you continue to want people to grow, but you're not allowing that time to do those readings or have those conversations or go observe people. And we're, it's not going to get any better if we continue to do the same thing, expecting different results. Absolutely. Um, we want to know what you think. What's happening in your building, um, in your schools, in your experience? What's keeping you there um, at the moment? And what's pushing you out? We would love to know. Tag us at Commonsense Podcast or at GoodTrouble.media. And let's continue the conversation. But stay right where you are. We'll be right back. Yeah. And we're back. Yes, we are. <laughs> if you have questions, you know where to send them. www.commonsensepod.com or goodtrouble.media or commonsensepod at gmail.com. Three options. Send us your questions. Our question this week comes from someone who is anonymous. And the question reads, what are your quick Black History Month tips? What are y'all doing this month? And what do you think about teaching hard history in the early grades? Okay, it's a lot in that question. That is a lot. Um, <laughs> you and I like briefly talked about this. I think I texted you like in a rant one evening. Yeah. About something that I I don't even remember. Um and like obviously I teach kindergarten and I'm of the mindset that Black History Month should be should be extremely joyful and focusing on fun contributions and things that children connect to. Um and I like I understood mostly like how literal five-year-olds were and how it would be a little difficult to explain like why there is a month dedicated to black people. Um, And I didn't really realize how literal they were until like two years ago, I had a little kid that I was like, oh, why do you think we celebrate Black History Month? They're like, how do we celebrate it? And one of them stood up so proudly and she goes, "Um, well, that's when you wear black all month. And I was like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. thank you for sharing. And I was like, there's something else that we also do. And she was like, well, that's what my mom said. Not quite. Mom didn't say that. I like shared it later with the mom and she just fell out laughing. But that showed me like how literal they are and like how their concept of um, race and ethnicity, like it's still developing. And also when you bring up Black History Month in kindergarten, immediately if you have Black children and non-Black children in your classroom, they're going to look at you crazy because they don't quite, they have not internalized that Black is the same thing as Brown. Up until like second grade, I think I've seen it. Um, they don't understand that you can have, li- you literally have Brown skin, but that society calls it Black. And so we were talking about it earlier this week about, um, like Black History Month and someone that we were reading about. And it said that she was black. And one of the kids shouts out, no, but like her skin is brown. And then immediately, you know, you have kids looking at their arms and looking at my skin and saying like, but you're not black, you're brown. And so it brings up this whole other conversation that then you want to try to have, but that five-year-olds are not quite ready to understand. Like they have an idea of it, but it's hard to say, well, you know, you're brown, but you're also black. Like it, they're not quite there, which is why I try to focus on things that they have a context for. So like, I know I texted you about going into like an exploration about like rockets and people who've contributed meaningfully to science exploration. And so we're doing some writing about Katherine Johnson. Um, We're going to talk about the guy who created the super soaker, um, because that's something that five-year-olds are interested in. And so I'm really trying to find people who contributed in ways into things or like created things. I hate that I keep saying things that five-year-olds can latch on to and they understand because 
teaching these big, huge ideas when they're still developing their identity and love of self and love of their community and their heritage and all the things that make them unique, you're not going to get anywhere. Like, sure, mention it because you're teaching social studies and a kindergartner should know, like, key people. But you don't need to go into all the horrible things that happened as a result. Like, they are five. And then you go too deep and you talk about like race riots and all of a sudden a five-year-old is thinking that they did this or that their parents did this or they have no frame of time. Like, like there's no time frame for a five-year-old. And so when I see things like that happening, like I'm cringing because you're contributing to like a, a huge, like you're, you're causing a huge problem when you do that. Like just focus on joy and creating a a positive self-identity and helping non-Black children see that Black people have made meaningful contributions and that Black people are capable of great things and that, like, our history didn't start, like, way back in slavery. Like, don't start with that, obviously. And also, when you're using books and pictures, like, try not to use Black and white images. Like, for a five-year-old, that signifies, oh, this happened a long time ago. Like, if you think about it, everything a five-year-old is in color. Yeah. They don't know Black and white. It's in color. So if you're going to teach about someone, find the color image of them. Because literally, I've I've showed images like that are black and white. And with, this is why I stopped doing it. And immediately, they're like, did they die? And now they've put this person in a box, even if they are still very well alive. Mm. So use colorful images because they don't know black and white. Find people that contributed to things in their lives and that they can make meaningful connections to. And focus on joy. Black History Month is like full of joy and celebration. Like I love being black. I'm not going to spend my whole month talking about how my community is marginalized and oppressed. I'm not. The funny thing, though, is so many times Black History Month, I guess, provides this avenue for the savior and everyone to just kind of come out because people take it upon themselves to say, I got to teach my class about all the things that they don't know about black history. And I'm going to start with that one. And I'm going to move to civil rights. And then I'm going to let them know Martin Luther King had more than a dream. And then I'm going to take it back to slavery and talk about the, the slave revolts. And then I'm going to talk about black lives matter. And then I'm going to move back. And then I'm going to talk about police brutality and killings. And I think about <laughs> there are people like that. Uh, I'm laughing because I used to be one of them. And so the thing about <laughs> it is, it's impossible to do that. You know, I have two things to say. The first is you got to create a lens, right? If you want to do Black History right, you got to create a lens that people that your students can look through all content areas with, right? That's how you move from Black. Um, history month to black history year it didn't matter what we were studying when i taught fifth grade a a few years ago they knew they were asking where were the black people at where were they doing what was going on with them what were their lives like like they had a true lens how does this image or how does this thing like portray my my people how does it make me feel right like coming back what are the good news in their lives right my students now know that their lives are a text right like i don't have to go back and always find these prolific um stories of black people because i have black history sitting in my classroom right now right now today um so my first thing is you is you got to create a lens the second thing is you have to build racial pride and you don't have to always do that. Just echoing your point, Anthony, you don't have to build racial pride through uh, trauma, storytelling, and like outrageous perseverance stories. We know that our people are resilient, right? We know that for a fact. But there are so many other regular stories that creates an avenue for students to feel so proud of the skin that they're in. And it's hard for students to truly like hang on and like internalize all of the trauma that black people have faced without um, having that sense of racial pride, you know? So build the lens, build racial pride, 
um, for black kids, as I'm talking, racial pride for black kids. And then, um, you know, move forward from there. This month, we are reading stories, listening to songs, um, and then we're documenting words to describe our ancestors um, on an anchor chart. Um, I taught a whole unit on hip hop and activism last month. And we had a discussion about mass incarceration, prison industrial complex. Um, I'm moving into another unit that's actually on the civil rights movement. You know, this is my first time teaching this. Um, I'm really excited. So we are going to do race as um, a social construction and D um, and kind of busting the myth of race as a, as a biological um, phenomenon, because we know that that's false. Um, and in between that, we'll be, watching plays and stuff like that. So um, I'm really excited. But, you know, today we had a really rough day and somebody was busted out like, ain't gonna let this class turn me around, <laughs> turn me around. And I, you know, like, and I said, period, me neither. So, you know, find the joy and stick with that. Um and yeah, we could do it. I have um, one more thing. Oh, okay, okay. I would also suggest, depending on your standards, looking at who the key figures in Black history that your students were expected to learn about last year, looking at that, looking at what they're supposed to learn like in your grade and looking at what they're supposed to learn in the next grade. Because a kid doesn't need to do a writing on Rosa Parks three years in a row. Like, they don't. There's so many key figures that you can teach a child about. Um, yeah, just something to keep in mind. Yep, vertical alignment is key. And that's the reason why. I mean, that just kind of digs back into the last discussion. When teachers are leaving so much and there's no chance for a school to really vertically align a curriculum, it's like, how do you stop people from teaching about Rosa Parks three years in a row? I tell you, every teacher that comes in says the same thing. Y'all ain't been taught nothing before I got here. You see what I'm saying? That savior mentality comes out so much. And now we got to fix everything only for us to leave in June and do the same thing at, at the next school. So, you know, yes, vertically aligned. I'll share a document. I created a, a K through five um, social studies scope and sequence that could help y'all to sort of brainstorm some things. Um, but, yeah, there are so many stories within our culture that is critical. So, yeah. Um, if you have questions, you know where to send them. www.commonsensepod.com www.goodtrouble.media or commonsensepod at gmail.com We'll be looking for your questions. What is our quote this So our quote this week comes from a writer that was notable during the Harlem Renaissance. If you don't know what that is, go ahead and look it up. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was elitist of me to laugh. I mean... Anyway... So Dorothy West was a writer during the Harlem Renaissance, and she is best known for her novel, The Living is Easy, but she also wrote a whole bunch of other short stories about the life of an upper-class Black family. And our quote this week comes from her. I'm finding that there's, like, more and more Black women writers from that time period that I did not know. Like, Nella Larson is one of my favorite writers. Now she wrote this book called The Passing that I'll have to talk about another time. But look up Nella Larson. But our quote is from Dorothy West this week, y'all. Okay, so Dorothy West says, to know how much there is to know is the beginning of learning to live. I feel like I'm always talking about how much I know there is to know out there mm -hmm. and how I'm like on a vicious pursuit to learn as much as I can. Like there's no, ex I think that's probably why I love reading so much because I'm always like, there's something new to learn. There's something out there. Um, and even me being in a home that like um instilled lots of racial pride in my in myself like very early on and I was always given things that reflected my image as much as I could like in the 90s growing up right um I'm still finding out how much I don't know and it's just pushed me along the path to read more to read widely to to just like always learn, like I feel like that's why I'm a lifelong learner. And it's not even me at this point trying to make up for what I did not learn in school because I think at a certain point, like you get past that part. 
Like, there's no way, like, all of this could have been covered. It's whatever. Um, but now it's me wanting to make the connections between people in history. Um, because as you start to read, you start to realize, like, how small these circles of people who are making drastic changes that I still benefit from in 2020, how small their circles were. Um, there's one book I read called, it's about the first black high school in America. It's Dunbar High School in D.C. Um yes. It's literally one of my favorite books. And Dunbar is now a drastically different world from when it first opened. Um, and reading Dunbar and reading the people who taught there or learning about the people who taught there, the people who attended there, you just find out how how small the black community was and still is. And it makes the history seem so much more personable. Well, not personable, but personal. Um, and it's caused me to realize how small those circles still are. Um, the people that we look up to now, because of social media, you can see who they're friends with. And you realize that when we talk about them years down the road, there are going to be children that are literally making the connections that I'm making. Like, oh, they knew so-and-so and they were friends with so-and-so. And he used to babysit their kids and yada, yada, yada. Like, it's just, it's fascinating to me. Um, so once you learn how much there is to know out there, like you can really start to begin living and Reading is also part of why I love traveling so much to like make those connections and see those places. And I don't know, it's, it's amazing. So it's also why I love to write my own units and curriculum. Um, I never ask big questions that I know the answers to. Um, I sort of use this as an excuse to do my own research and my own learning about my own people so that I then can provide a space for my students to think and question as well. And so because I'm asking questions and we're reading texts that I usually have not read prior, like many, many years prior to or when I was a kid all the time, um, and we're, you know, learning things to, together, We it puts us on the same level playing field. And it allows us to truly connect with each other. And it makes the classroom a more um, just communal space. And I think that is truly what Black history is all about. It's about community. It's about learning. It's about coming together. Um, and we have an opportunity to do this right in, as, as as best as we possibly can. Um, so I'm I'm excited to start this next unit and go on and continue black history year for the rest of the year. And then the year after that, Amen. <laughs> because you know, our students deserve it. They truly do deserve it. Happy black history month. Happy black history month. We want to thank you guys so much for listening and you know, we will see you next time. See you later. <clears throat> You're back on that shit again. <laughs> <laughs>